New perspective. Perspective. That's a shift yeah. in perspective you have. New perspective. That's the new perspective. perspective how are you doing dad i'm all right i'm so glad that i finally got to record with you i have always wanted to do this um no it's been a minute right you've been asking me since january have i really and here we are finally doing it i know months later i remember like i was like around a year ago or something i was like yo it'd be so cool if we had our own podcast together Yes, right? And Mm -hmm. here we are, here we are. I am so glad that you are on. I'm so excited. You have such a beautiful mind and you're such a talented artist and musician. Well, thank you. An amazing perspective on the world. And just before we get started, I wanted to mention that I just created a Patreon. So if you'd like to get access to bloopers and my discord server with everyone that i have recorded with so far shout outs on the podcast and my other social medias i would greatly appreciate the support the link is in the description my most recent podcast had a lot of funny moments that are now going to be in the patreon as well yeah if you get anything out of listening to this i will say just send it to a friend or tell somebody about it, right? Like the topics that we talk about on my podcast are not spoken about enough, right? So share it and you can raise the consciousness of humanity. All right, let's jump into it. I am your daughter, so I feel like I should know this, but like what first got you interested in art and music? Well, I guess it goes all the way back to when I was a kid and let me see it was one of the things i was good at in school so it was a good way for me to express myself because i was a a painfully shy child i I don't know i guess art was a good way to kind of get my expression out there so yeah music music came a lot later i think it was my granddad that had like a little um toy keyboard basically and he'd tinker around on it and I'd, I'd have a go. I was probably about nine or ten when I kind of picked that up. So there you go. Wow. And the rest is history. Beautiful. So do you feel like art and music was like an escape from life for you? I feel like a lot of people turn towards it in bad times. Or was it just a way to kind of self-express? Well, like I said, I mean, um, it's not like I had a bad childhood or anything, but because I was so shy then it was a way for me to kind of have a voice at the same time so Mm. if that makes sense yeah no that does make sense I mean that is another way to communicate Mm -hmm. and I know you are not the most extroverted person indeed still (laughs) I think I've got a lot better over the years but yeah yeah, it's, it's still kind of there so what makes you like isolate yourself why do you like it? Why do you like being alone? Because um, it gives me time just to kind of ponder the world and all of its complexities and intricacies and, you know, just kind of consider the ideas big and small and um, without distraction, basically. That's just true. Best, best time to do it. 
That is very true. That is why I feel like I have become more introverted recently, just because it's really nice. You can get a lot of insight, a lot of good reflecting when you are alone that you just can't really get in a crowd. Mm-hmm. That is very true. Yeah, it's, it's time to focus and be kind of centered. And like I said, just, just think about the world because the world is a fascinating place, let's face it. Mm-hmm. That is an understatement. Mm-hmm. So something, one of the reasons why I'm excited to record with you is because like you're from England, right? We can talk about the different cultures. So like how does art and music in England differ from like in America? Well, just off the top of my head, I mean, this isn't prepared or anything, but um, I think English culture is a, is a lot more real than a lot of American culture where you know everything has to be polished and you know super tight and perfect and you know I think we're just a lot more um, forgiving in England about people's flaws and uh, insecurities or whatever so really? I do, I, yeah I do I do see the um, the the pervasive nature of American culture in Britain I mean when I was a kid growing up all of the shows were American you know the A-team and um, the Fall Guy and Charlie's Angels and just a whole bunch of American TV and it was like to us it was really kind of fascinating and exotic but um, just felt just so different to to what was happening in England at at the time so Mm. yeah what do you feel like is the biggest difference between America and England well, we speak the same language, but <laughs> yeah, let me think. Um, I mean, like I said, a, a real kind of simple example would be soap operas on TV. In America, it's all about people striving and aspiring to be rich and powerful mm. and successful. And in England, it's just people living their lives, you know, just like oh, really? living in small houses and just working two jobs and trying to make ends meet. So, um, it's kind of different how we how we get our entertainment i guess hmm, interesting so in america it's like the american dream liberty freedom success like like it actually is different what about like mannerisms like what are some of the biggest like mannerism differences um well the ones that kind of spring to mind are that um English people love to put themselves down and put put each other down in like a friend, yes, friend friendly I way. I so, um, you know, the person that you insult the most would be your best friend. And if you're nice to somebody, that's that's generally an, um, a signal that you probably don't really like that person. So it, it's oh, kind of it's exactly. kind of backwards, exactly. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't know why we do that. It's stupid, but there you mm. go. So is that kind of the stigma of like British people are more rude than Americans? Well, it's not that they're more rude because I think, um, you know, British people, I think, would like to think that they have better manners than a lot of people in in the rest of the world. But I think, you know, coming to America gives me a different perspective on England and vice versa. I see Americans from the outside, but also having lived in America for 20 years, I see Britons from the outside too. Mm. Um, And Britain likes to think that it's the center of the world. Mm -hmm. So when you're in Britain, it's... I think all countries do. Well, I wonder about that because like if I went Mm. to 
Denmark or Sweden or Japan, would would they have the same kind of level of national pride? I don't know. I guess it's... I know America does. America. Oh, totally. Yeah, Americans <laughs> Americans in general think they're in the best country in the world when, you know, you look at healthcare and education and um, yeah. you know, wealth inequality and all of those measures, and and you see we're actually kind of quite the quite far down the list. But um, it's just interesting to see how people perceive their own countries when that's all they really know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But now you have more of a broader perspective from going and traveling. I feel like you do. I think that is um, one of the biggest reasons to travel. And, you know, going to a completely different country is incredible Mm -hmm. and very admirable. Um, well, it should be, and and not everybody has that mentality. I mean, some people go on holiday and hang around with people of their own nationality, and and you know, kind of go to McDonald's. Exactly, go to McDonald's <laughs> and all of the chain restaurants that they already know. Uh, they're just paying <laughs> yeah. in a different currency, and you know, the menus might be slightly different, but it's a really, right. it's it's, uh, Sad. you know, it's not a good way to immerse yourself in somebody else's culture. Mm-hmm. No, definitely not like you gotta experience it all but i want to ask like how does the american school systems compare to england's well if you're talking about sort of primary and secondary education the you know from 5 to 18 for example you know i've only really been in the english school system and i was a pretty mediocre student you know i, I didn't really try very hard when i was in school so I only kind of know it from that side, but to, to some degree, you know, I feel like it's it's just a mill. You know, people are just getting on that 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 treadmill and going through the education cycles and just coming out of the other end, ready for university or you know a, a job or whatever. At least it, that's how it was when I was growing up, and that was the perspective I had. I, I would hope that it's 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 come a long way since then, but. Um, it's been interesting to have a kid in the American school system and see how it's different. I've seen a lot more sort of critical thought placed into the curriculum at an earlier age. Really? Yeah, stuff that I, I didn't even really see until I was in university in England. Do you have any examples? Or... Well, just the fact that you read a newspaper, don't believe everything that's in the newspaper. You know, have the skills and the knowledge and tools necessary to kind of dissect the story and work out what the the journalist's intention was and see whether you know kind of recognize bias and 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 just kind of pick it apart critically i i feel like i didn't get that kind of education until i went to university and it was really kind of it was really kind of eye-opening you know and it was probably about two years into it when i realized that that was what was happening to my brain i was i was getting kind of reprogrammed in some ways to Mm -hmm. critically evaluate stuff Interesting. I didn't realize mm-hmm. that you wouldn't have, I don't know, learned those simple things. Well, it sounds simple, but um, I guess part of the reason why you wouldn't do that is because you don't want a nation of critical thinkers who are self-aware. If, if you're a politician yeah. in their place yeah, of power, true. you want to kind of keep it that way. So you don't want people thinking for themselves and questioning your every motive or whatever. So I understand mm-hmm. why it's kind of developed that way. But anyway, all of that to say, um, I've seen more evidence of that in the American 
education system. I do worry about the um, impact of religion in the Bible Belt. You know, the fact that that kind of works its way into classes. Do you think so? Surreptitiously. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, things like um, having an optional Bible study class, for example. Oh, is that a thing? Is that a thing? Yes. Yeah, I mean, you go to Tennessee or, you know, Louisiana or Georgia or those places, and it's probably going to be more prevalent than than where we are in a in a fairly liberal town but yeah it is a it is a thing down here so something to keep an eye on interesting see i didn't realize that yeah i feel like um i mean obviously there's a very long way to go the education system and you know my opinion on that but Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting seeing how it differs in other countries. Definitely. So, so, so one thing I've noticed about your podcast is that your your guests do ninety percent of the talking. I feel like. Yeah. And yeah. I feel I feel like people who listen to this this podcast should hear more from you. So I've got some questions oh. for you. So. <laughs> okay. okay. And the first one is education related. So, if you had to come up with a new class that everyone is required is required to take in school uh, what would it be a new class okay Hmm. interesting i feel like it would be tied around self-development i think a class where we learn about um the power of your mind about like the subconscious mind learn about like law of attraction learn about um visualizing setting goals figuring out what your passions are figuring out what your interests are Mm -hmm. right um i think that would definitely be one and kind of tying in some like emotional intelligence as well i feel like one of the biggest flaws in the education system is that like the student is adapting to the curriculum instead of the curriculum adapting to the student meaning like we should be more of having more of a focus on figuring out what you're into what are you good at right. what are you talented at instead of just like okay do this do all this basic stuff that you're not really gonna need and you know you, you just it doesn't really give you much of an opportunity to truly like figure that out or place enough importance on that so well that's a good point because i remember you know kind of cramming for tests like name the first 15 american presidents you know like how is that relevant to today (laughs) yeah um yeah i get it history has a has a place in in culture and society but um i don't know i guess we we kind of place a lot of emphasis on facts and figures that that aren't really uh, you know useful or necessary in a in a in a day-to-day setting does that make sense yeah it makes perfect sense like a lot of these things we're not going to use when am i going to use moles in my future <laughs> Is, i know what i'm into am i going to need to learn a bunch of chemistry and I'm, am i going to need a bunch of this complex math am i going to need to know like all of the oxidation states you know it's huh? like you know there is like a maybe a one percent chance but it's like probably not right exactly and so i think one of the biggest uh focuses that i would have if like 
I could add one class to the curriculum is just a class for figuring that out. Talking about like um, finding your interests, finding what -hmm. you're interested in, figuring out passions and centered around more of like understanding yourself and mind and like self-development as well. Right. Like, I think that definitely needs to be in there. Is it better to be like kind of average at a bunch of things or really, really good at like one or two things, right? What's going to lead you to more success, right? The more um, successful you are at your field, the more you master it. Right. The more that it's like your sole focus. Like if you meet someone that's like really good, really smart, really intelligent, like that is basically their sole focus. All right. they do is do that one thing. But in the education system, it's like, no, your energy has to be there and here and there and there. And it's just like spread out, right? You're not actually becoming a master of one specific right. field. And that's good when you're like trying to figure out what you exactly. do. And that's cool. But I think a lot of people or a lot of students kind of have more of a focus on, at least to some extent, what they're better at or what mm-hmm. they are more interested in. And it would be nice to kind of be able to shape, right? Have the right. curriculum adapt to that focus for you. Yeah. And I have, I'll be honest, I have no idea how you would teach a class like that. But <laughs> I'm just kind of um, just, just blue sky in it now. But uh, I mean, it's interesting what yeah. you said, though, because I think to some degree you do need like a broad spectrum of things to study at school before you kind of f- focus down on your concentrations too early. You know, you talked about moles and oxidation states and all of that. That's important to somebody. You know, it doesn't affect me on a daily basis because I'm not like a chemist or a material scientist or whatever. If I was, then obviously I'd know about that stuff. I'm in IT, so I know computer stuff. I have no idea how finance or accounting works or marketing or any of that stuff because that's not really my area of focus. But it wasn't until well after I'd left school that I kind of started focusing down on those um, those disciplines. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like even so, I think it's pretty easy to quickly realize if this is kind of for you or not mm-hmm. you know it do you really have to stick with it for like another like 18 weeks or something well here's you know? the, yeah here's the other interesting thing i've seen in american education particularly in high school is the mm-hmm. sheer volume of classes that you can take i mean it's just ridiculous there's hundreds of courses and there's so many different ways that you can graduate and mm-hmm. That's kind of cool, but it's also pretty bewildering as well. If if you're one of these kids that isn't decided at that point, I could see you kind of making some missteps and, and getting it wrong somewhere along the way, picking the wrong class or whatever. So mm-hmm. maybe maybe if we did focus more on what you said, which is like working out what your motivations and drivers are, then we'd have more successful people as a as a society. Yes. Imagine if everybody did what they were good at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Imagine if everybody was able to figure out what they were good at, because everybody's better at something they enjoy, right? You would think, yeah. It, well, it's a passion, so it becomes less. It, it's less effort to to study that subject, right? So imagine a world where everybody's basically doing what they're good at, and they're a master at it. Like they're mm-hmm. that's their focus, you know. Yep. And right. So, so another thing that occurred to us the other day was. Um, this focus on history and 
mm-hmm. what history teaches us, and history is important to so, sort of understand. I don't think that's the most least. It's not the least important class. Like that's kind right. of decent. I can understand some history. I don't mind learning a bit of history. I don't. I can. But I think. Um, yeah, I think the geopolitical history is is probably of more. Um, importance because it, it tells you how nations formed and how alliances came together and you yeah. know who's your friends and who's your enemies and all of that stuff but uh, naming the f- the first 15 American presidents <laughs> I don't really find a lot of value in that sort of information yeah. you can go to a book for that stuff you know you can go to a book for anything and everything mm-hmm. but so, to concentrate mm-hmm. on this stuff concentrate on the just the, the critical thought processes rather than the the facts and figures is what I'm trying to get to. So. Yes. Yeah, I like that. I think we need to be able to think for ourselves. Not many people actually do that, um, especially in the education system. It makes you not want to learn. It mm-hmm. literally makes you not want to learn, which is very sad. Yep. And... I yeah, think I, I, I think I was one of those kids in school. You know, I was, yeah. I was just bored. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Cause, cause who, who, who isn't? Who isn't? Who isn't? <laughs> yeah, I was talking to my my civics teacher today, and he was saying like one of the reasons why he doesn't like AP classes is because they just take it for the credit; they don't take it for the experience. He was saying we just go through things in life just to get to the next thing right right just high school to get to college college to get a job job Mm -hmm. to support kids kids so they can go to school and just this whole cycle and he said like we're never really appreciating the present and i love that i absolutely love that and i 100 percent agree with that and i was was kind of thinking about that yesterday because i saw a headline i didn't read the article but it said are we living in a simulation scientists Mm -hmm. scientists would disagree but I think we are or something like that and it got me thinking about the the cycles of life you know the fact that we we get on this treadmill and we do this and we you know we go to university and we get an education and we we get a job and um does that sound like the sims you know like you're playing Ooh, like you're wow. literally playing a computer game wow so it's it's kind of cool when people kind game. of break out from that, but it it takes bravery and courage to to kind of buck that system and become mm-hmm. like a starving artist, or you know, um, decide I'm going to be a busker and I might become famous, but if not, you know, I'm just kind of living my best life and doing my own thing. Yeah, I mean, we live in an age where it's like the easiest time to do that, but yeah, I love that you said treadmill. Mm-hmm. We're always chasing something, but we never. It's never there, right? It's always the next thing. It's always the next thing. Mm-hmm. And we do that until we die and we never actually live. And do you think do you think capitalism and marketing has has, has driven that? Because obviously we you know, since the fifties I guess, people have been aspiring to own the you know, the best house and have a nice car and all of these things. So we're all kind of getting on the treadmill, yeah. we're working away yeah. to, to kind of get our reward. A shiny new oven or whatever it might yeah, be and that new thing that next mm-hmm. thing i 100 percent like that's kind of the whole game of it you know like we do this so we can 
get that and well that's not enough you know now we've had this thing for a while well what's the new thing coming out and mm -hmm. it's just this whole cycle and and i, I think in america yeah. that's that's more prevalent than in, in england because americans are, seem to me to be workaholics oh in, interesting really? in europe and, and in england you know people have vacation and they take vacation you know weeks of it at a time so um they can mm. appreciate their free time rather than just giving it all away to some corporation you know just ooh, just, just work in their entire life away yes wow that's interesting so you think that we are more stressed and like work more here in america oh absolutely at least compared to europe you know people talk about the japanese being workaholics too and taking oh, yeah. taking pride in the fact that they work 50 or 60 hours a week that's to me that's just kind of sad and stupid yes. i don't understand yes. that yes oh my god don't be proud that you work super hard mm -hmm. don't come home and be like oh my god i worked like 24 hours a day i'm so good yeah you feel that's the whole thing it's kind of a game of the lie of productivity the lie of working super hard and i think the education system does teach you you have to work super hard to be successful mm -hmm. that's kind of what it teaches you which really i think that's a lie <laughs> it is a lie it is a lie literally the most successful people that i have ever met work the least mm -hmm. honestly mm -hmm. right like it's crazy like business owners maybe they're like into like crypto they all are focused on like passive income and exactly well it's, it. it's either it's either passive income or leveraging other people to work for you and yeah, then you're exactly. taking your piece of that pie too you know, i forget the numbers but i think it's like the average employee creates like one hundred eighty thousand dollars of value per year mm. but you know they get paid what 40 50 60 000 so mm. where's the rest of that money going it's going in somebody else's pocket right. um and you know i've met mm. people who are proud of the fact that they're they're working two jobs and that's so busting their ass but I, un I understand why they think that's good you know it's a it's a work ethic and i, I do think that hard work is important but it's got to be balanced against something it can't just you can't just be giving it all the way it's it's capital mm -hmm. it's it's like a finite yeah. resource you know time is something that we have a limited supply of so that was one of my next questions for you is uh, if you didn't have to sleep every night what would you do with all of that extra time mm, uh, I'm hmm. i love the night i love the mm. night time i wish that we were awake in more of the night i'd probably be right. outside looking at the stars mm -hmm. maybe traveling more maybe but I don't know. I feel like the nights are kind of like more free time. So I would like do more fun things in the night. I completely um, agree with that. I'd play more backgammon. I'd make <laughs> more art. So Yeah, me too. I mean, yeah. but you can learn a lot in a short amount of time. Definitely. Um, I, I, you know, I've often said this. I just wish there were like 100 hours in each day. I don't I, I, don't, I want to live to be a thousand years old. So... <laughs> I just want to see how the whole thing plays out. Yes. And, you know, I don't know whether within my lifetime we'll be able to achieve immortality, whether it's, you know, through biology or through artificial intelligence or whatever. But um, I think sooner or later that, that'll be cracked. 
so that people will be able to kind of download their consciousness or they will find that specific jellyfish gene that kind of enables us to rejuvenate ourselves and keep us alive for a thousand years. It's going to happen. It could probably happen. It could probably happen. But imagine how the game would change. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like there's kind of a liberating feeling knowing that there is a limited amount of time. Mm -hmm. This is an end, right? There is an end. And realizing that you're not going to be here forever makes you want to live a more fulfilling life. It makes you want to make the most of everything. Or maybe I'm just a drifter then, because I'd just like to live for a thousand years and just kind (laughs) of take it all in, you know? Yes, I understand. You know, I love the quote, memento mori, we all must die. Mm -hmm. And I find beauty in that. I find beauty in the temporary. Well, I feel like the, the way that people achieved immortality in the old days was to create lasting works of architecture or music or literature or whatever it might be so that you know Shakespeare I don't know whether he was thinking 500 years later people would still be like studying his works and stuff imagine that'd be incredible yeah I mean imagine going back to like the the Greek and Roman philosophers that that still get talked about or even the dude that even the dude that was sitting in a cave one time and just put his hand on the wall and you know, left a left a handprint there that we look at yeah. ten thousand years later. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it does. It makes you feel like immortal in that sense, but mm-hmm. it depends on what you view the self as. What do you mean? Like, if you identify with this body, then mm-hmm. you are immortal. If you don't. I mean, you're really not. It's kind of just where you, how you identify. Well, physically, um, you could argue that we're immortal anyway because our physical makeup doesn't disappear. And whether it's, it, you know, do you define it as matter or energy or, you know, just kind of, we're all just stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's, that, we're that's all just stuff. Well, that stuff stuff kicks around after after <laughs> our consciousness um, disappears, right? Um, yeah. So in that respect, we're all kind of 15 billion years old. We're all from the same mm. place. We are the universe and the universe is us. So Yes. I love that. It's so beautiful that you have found that truth. Well, I think, I think it was Carl Sagan that said it. You know, we're all stardust. Yeah, I remember you telling me that when I was very young. Exactly. And people tend to forget that. They also tend to forget that they are the product of 10,000 generations of mammal. You know, um, this we're all incredibly special, but we're all Mm -hmm. completely um, worthless at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah. So we're all the same. We're all the same, but we're all God. We're all yeah, exactly. You know, we're all our own sort of deity. Um Mm -hmm. just trying to make sense of the whole thing. Yeah, it's beautiful. You know, imagine being a caveman trying to work this stuff out. You know, you've 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 got this ability to start thinking about the world and how it came to be. And I completely understand where the concepts of religion came from with like creators and stuff. It's, mm-hmm. it's just people's attempts to 
ex explain the physical world that they're in. And, and maybe it is unexplainable. I mean, what was there before the start of the Big Bang? Was it just like an infinite cycle of universes? Is 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 there a multiverse? You know, is it just mm -hmm. one of an infinite infinite array of, of universes that are out there? Will we ever know? I don't know. Our minds, like, we can only see just, um, like, do you know the percentage of, like, how many colors we can see? It's, like, mm -hmm. a very small amount. But there's so many other colors that we just can't see. Well, I know there's, there's a shrimp, so right? Yeah. So Maybe. we've got, like, what is it, three different receptors, rods and cones or whatever. Yeah. Basically picking up the, the primary colors and kind of mixing them in our own minds. Well, you know, they've got, I forget, like, they've got 15 different types of receptors. So they're picking up all of these amazing colors that we'll, we'll never experience. Yeah. Right. Like, physically, we can't really understand everything. Mm -hmm. We are limited in many well, ways. Yeah, that's an interesting thought because, you know, maybe there's there's alien technologies and cultures out there that that operate in 15 dimensions where yeah. we've 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 got three dimensions of space and one of time or even just a fourth dimension. So I saw this um this attempt to kind of describe a fourth dimensional space and the way they said it was in two dimensions you can draw a circle. And if you were a two-dimensional stick figure on that same piece of paper as the circle, you would literally just see a line. But we mm -hmm. see it, but we see it as a circle because we are one dimension higher than that stick figure. Mm, right. So taking that an, another step forward, um, we can imagine what a sphere looks like, and a sphere mm -hmm. has three dimensions: height, width, and depth. But imagine if there was a fourth-dimensional being that could see the fourth dimension of that sphere and the way they did kind of describe it is um let, let me think about this if you if you showed a sphere to, to a two-dimensional object you would have to kind of pass it through and it would see this line kind of shrink and contract as as the sphere kind of passed through the sheet of paper mm. well in 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 our third dimension we would see um like something the size of a pea grow to the size of a football and back again as we kind of went through that um fourth dimension i'm not really explaining it very well but all, all i'm saying is it, maybe there are 15 dimensions out there and we have no physical way to see them because we are trapped like that stick figure on the piece of paper mm -hmm. he's in two dimensions we're yeah. a, we're kind of a level above that i don't know yeah. maybe maybe we'll we'll crack that one day we'll be able to see those billions of colors that we've never seen before because you know we've they've got new um, receptors that they can put inside your eyeball or something and then true and then you can experience life in those in the in the that seventh would dimension cool. wouldn't that be cool that would be very very cool so but yeah continue so that's all the stuff that they're going to work out and you know <laughs> it's going to take ten thousand years and i just wish i was around to see it oh so <laughs> Yes, yeah, so we will see what happens mm -hmm. after we, we transition. But um yeah, you I love that. That's I'm so glad that you brought that up because that is like the perfect example to explain how we literally cannot fully comprehend this reality. Like there's multiple dimensions of reality that we're not even able to see. 
Right. And, 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 and we're on third, right? Third dimension. That's pretty well. That sounds pretty well. It does, doesn't it? It does sound pretty well. Living life so. in, well, fourth dimension being time. But even so, I mean, those are, those are pretty limiting parameters yeah. there's a yeah. there's a there's an author called kurt vonnegut who who writes about this stuff in a book called slaughterhouse five mm-hmm. and he's a soldier in world war ii but he has the he has the ability to time travel at will and the way that that, that they kind of explain it in the book is if you're on a train and you look down a long pipe at the mountains in the distance and the train moves along you see the mountain range in kind of a linear progression. That's kind of how we see time. If you take away that pipe and you, you can see the whole thing at once, you can see the start of the mountain range and the end all in one go. That's kind of like mm. um, how he describes, mm. you know, what time travel might look like to somebody who's able to, to, to experience it. You kind of pick and choose. Okay, I'm going to look at this mountain peak. And it might be, it might kind of correlate to this decade in history or whatever. So, mm. I mean, time is a very interesting thing. I don't feel like time is really linear. I mean, a lot of people already kind of know that themselves. They're probably like, oh my God, time's going so fast. Oh my God, time flies by, or this mm-hmm. is so slow. And, um, I mean, you already know like that thing where like it's a lot of, of it is affected by gravity. So some right. like, live somewhere, it lives higher. Like if they're twins, they could age differently. So it's very, um, is it's it interesting. It's different. T- time dilation. Time dilation. That sounds, that sounds right. I think so. I is it, and it's kind of like as you approach the speed of light, Newtonian physics kind of breaks down where... Mm objects become different shapes and time starts to slow down mm. and you know it, you get all of these kind of weird effects as you approach the speed of light these things are probably a little bit more elastic than we we think of we think of time just being this this thing that just kind of relentlessly rolls on with a, a certain kind of heartbeat to it and maybe, maybe it isn't really maybe it doesn't really work that way but we always think that, and I think it yeah, exactly. stresses people out a lot as well. I mean, there's a number right here, right, telling me the exact time. I was thinking me. the same thing. I mean, what would be the point of clocks or calendars if yeah. if time was this kind of weirdly rubber thing that could stretch and shrink or whatever? Yeah, I mean, we just use this for structure. Mm-hmm. Like, um... That's really what it is. Use it for structure for us. But indeed, I think I heard this thing is like if you left Earth and went and spun around like a black hole for a little bit, you would come back and it would be like really a mo- many, many years off into the future. And like everybody's already dead that you knew. And like, right. So I think it's like due to like gravity. Exactly. It's, it's the interrelation between gravity and time and mass. And, you know, it's just that whole space-time continuum thing where it's just like a big rubber sheet rather than this um, th- this this kind of wheel that just kind of spins around at a certain rotation. What do you mean by, like, rubber sheet? Well, they talk about ways to visualize black holes. And, and really, it, it's kind of hard to explain, but if you imagine that space and time exist on a sheet, then you place this... And it was like a big rubber sheet. Then you place a, a big heavy bowling ball on it. It's it's gonna create curvature and distortion mm. to to the whole thing. And it's just a way to kind of visualize 
how black holes might affect things in the Newtonian space. Wow. Space is very fascinating. Isn't it? I mean, you can just like look up on any any one night and just like look into it literally infinity. That's, that's pretty I know. wild. It's beautiful, but nobody really realizes this. But I think it's so important that we do because we live in a society that is very stressed, right? Like you said, like workaholics, all of this. And I think if we were able to ponder these truths of life and realizing who you really are and where you really are, you know, on this little rock and like uh -huh. an infinite universe that we don't really understand, it reduces a lot of importance. And to me, it was kind of my key to freedom freedom mm -hmm. from all of the stress freedom from all these emotional times whenever i'm stressed every single time i look up some cool space videos i like get into some like absurdism like right. look at the universe like <laughs> nothing ever matters right it's yeah it can be uh, maybe a little nihilistic nothing matters but it's not really that but it's just Mm -hmm. Things don't matter as much as you think. That's right. what it And, you know, I, I once gave that advice to somebody who works for me. I remember that, and I absolutely love that. I absolutely well, love that. it's not really the sort of thing you should probably tell somebody. It's like, I always... um, oh, I'm stressed out about this project, and it's not going to work out. And I'm like, okay, well, just look up at the stars. <laughs> just remember your space in the universe. You know, it's important to find balance. At the end of the day, you know, you can you can stand there and look at the universe, but there's things that always kind of bring you back down to reality in some way. I mean, I don't know, to some extent, but let's say someone that's a very, 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 very hard worker at some job they hate, maybe that little existential moment will actually make them quit and do mm -hmm. something else. Possibly. Find their yep. love. Yep find something that they're actually interested in mm -hmm. maybe that little bit of um realization will kind of get this pressure off of this straight a student who thinks you know learning about all of this stuff is super important and like getting all of this and like you know i've talked to so many people so many students that are just so they're so upset and they're so uh -huh. just overstressed and just think, oh, they have to work super, super hard. And it makes me so sad. And like one of the pieces of advice that I always give them is just look at some space videos, man. <laughs> okay. So you can stare at stars all, all day long and not have a job and be starving and be homeless and that's kind of cool but it's also very uncomfortable you know mm -hmm. so that's where the balance comes in i think is between taking care of the the absolutely bare necessities the fundamentals um the house the the food situation or whatever it might be and then having the freedom within your mind to to be able to kind of ponder those bigger things as well i mean yeah maybe but I mean, I guess that only goes for people that are in a really bad state. Like, yeah, if you're like almost homeless, completely mm -hmm. like broke, like, yeah, that makes sense. But to the average person that's like, just, you know, they're good. They're not like super struggling, you know, they're just doing their thing. Like, 
I think it all starts with a change in perspective. I think it all mm-hmm. starts. My growth journey, the reason why I am here right now, like doing this, having this life, mm-hmm. where I am today, it all started with an existential crisis. That was right. my starting point. Right. That was my starting point. Changing my perspective on literally everything, the entire world, mm-hmm. everything that I thought. That was my beginning point, right? And I, th- I, th- I think that comes with some privilege, though, as well, because other that's people. That's like I said, yeah. I think other people would have those same ex- existential crises and not have the the means to kind of escape that cycle, and I think that's where people end up working two jobs for minimum wage and kind of pouring their life into these these dead end pursuits without being without having the means to kind of escape that and that's kind of sad to me you know i wish i wish as a society we, we could we could address that i know yeah i feel like like i said today we have so many more opportunities so much so many different pathways and ways huh? to become successful it's easier to become wealthy it's easier to become successful now more than it has been in any other time and the fact is like you just have to like research learn do things absolutely figure things out and but then i imagine some some kid in some african village somewhere that doesn't have you know fresh water or electricity or whatever might have the most brilliant mind on the planet (laughs) and we're we're never going to see the the fruits of that because um because of the way that society works you know that's that's sad that is so that's true i mean obviously we are talking from some privilege and i guess i'm only talking and mostly referencing people who are at least decently okay decently Mm -hmm. all right but um yeah imagine if everybody was in that situation and i think as as a global society we have the ability to do that we've just got such wealth in, in in equity that um it just it's just doesn't seem possible when you've got literal billionaires on the planet um i forget the numbers now but it's a real small number it's like a hundred the top hundred richest people own as much as 50 percent of the rest of the world does that sound sustainable yeah. you know are we are we really being the best that we can be when that's the situation no. Anyway, no. I'm getting it's no. getting depressing now. So, <laughs> but overall, changing your perspective in the beginning and shifting your perspective on that on who you really are and where you really are and um, seeing your potential, you're able to like unlock your true potential and mm-hmm. you're basically just like, okay how can I make the most of this life? I deserve the best life right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to get that for myself. I think that's kind of what that perspective shift does for you. Absolutely. And yeah. Right and now, imagine imagine if everybody had the, the means and the ability to do that. Yeah. We'd, we'd all be in, like living on moon bases and <laughs> flying around in right. cars and all of that by now. I know. Um, but, something that I wanted to ask you was like, on. When you first came to America, you mentioned to me how many people assumed that you were religious. Like, mm-hmm. do you feel like there's less Christians in England? 
Um, I think so. Yeah. I mean, they, they still kick around. You know, we've got the Church of England, Anglican churches, and different sort of varieties, different flavors of Christianity, Catholics as well. But with the way that England came to be, going back centuries now, England kind of colonized the world. They had this big empire going on, Australia, India, um, Pakistan, whatever, uh, out into the Caribbean through the slave trade, unfortunately. But anyway, the the, the um, upshot of that is that a lot of people from those former colonies came to England. And as a result, um, it's, it's quite multicultural. You know, you've got Hindus and Sikhs, you know, people from, from around the world that, that brings kind of multicultural perspective to England. And I think that's probably kind of diluted Christianity to some degree. And I think also the rise of science and technology has led people to kind of question religion and whether it really has a place in modern society also. I know it's happening in America and it's happening at quite an accelerated pace and the fact that people will choose no religion on a form where it says, you know, what religion are you? You know, agnostic or atheist or, or whatever it might be. So it's going to be interesting to see over the next few centuries how we deal with religion. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you like uh, decide that you were an atheist? When did that happen? Mm, I think it was fairly young, probably about nine or ten. You know, mm-hmm. I was in a primary school with an ultra conservative religious headmaster, who every morning made us kind of recite the Lord's Prayer, uh, which was cool. which was interesting because you know I'm I'm sitting here with my my Muslim and Sikh mates and they're reciting this prayer to a god that they 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 don't believe in it just seemed a little bit ridiculous to me but then um just kind of picking apart some of the bible stories that people take as like universally truthful you know even simple things like noah's ark or the Mm -hmm. garden the garden of eden um i think once you start probing around in some of those texts and asking a few questions the whole thing kind of falls apart a little bit the books were written by bronze age villagers essentially you know people with literacy but um also with um i guess a mindset where they're just trying to explain things to people also there's elements of um, social control in there you know patriarchy Mm. features features pretty heavily the fact that um, there's rules for owning and slaves and, and, you know, you can only punish your slaves in these ways or whatever. And mm-hmm. you, can, you you basically own your wife and, and, and stuff like that. And it just, I don't know, it, it just makes me question the, the, the motives of a book like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. and I'm, not, I'm not really well versed on, on, you know, the Quran or um, other religious texts or whatever but i imagine that they would have a pretty similar feel to them you know it's stories about morality and how to live your life and these are the rules and follow these rules and you'll get your reward in heaven and all of that stuff yeah yeah i i don't know there's some lessons there's some good things that you can pull out of oh absolutely also some bad definitely Mm -hmm. but um Okay, you brought this up to me before, and 
I think you said that like atheism isn't a protected class or something. Right. Like, what does that mean? Okay, so if you're on a job and you're black and somebody comes up to you and says you're fired because I don't like black people, you could basically sue the hell out of them. And you could do the same thing if you were gay or um, let's think of what else there would be. Or, or you're disabled, you know, your legs don't work, you're in a wheelchair and your boss comes up to you and says, uh, yeah, you can't stand up for this job, so I'm just going to fire you. You know, the, the the lawyers would have a field day with that. They'd, 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 they'd get you a massive payout. But if a, doc, if a, a boss came up to you and said, uh, you don't believe in God, so I'm just going to fire you. you <laughs> you're on your own, basically. You don't have a leg to stand on. Nobody's yeah. going to fight that for you. Mm, and that, that's, that's really what it means. And, you know, maybe one day it will become a protected class. Um, it's going to take some work, though, in a... In a, in a um, theistic society like i think america is where you mm. don't where the the president for example would never turn around and say i'm an atheist because people would just flip out they just lose it yeah. wow so like if you're an atheist and like someone like you said like someone couldn't just like fire you or because like you're religious or based off religion or anything like and if you said that like um this like, can you explain that a little bit more yeah i mean um i think if somebody says you're a christian and therefore i'm gonna fire you because you're a christian yeah i have a feeling that's protected you know i'm not an expert on employment law but um, I feel like you'd have more of a case if you believed in a God rather than if you didn't believe in a God right. and, and, so, got, and got prejudiced against for it. Right. So someone said, like, I'm firing you because you're an atheist. Like, that's just allowed. Mm -hmm. Basically, yeah. Okay. There you go. Indeed. Crazy. I always love our chats on religion. It is <laughs> always interesting. And I'm, I'm, um, not, I'm not criticizing anybody for believing in you know whatever they want to believe in um as long as it doesn't negatively impact somebody else mm -hmm. um I'm, I'm trying to think of an example oh, okay so um you know religious countries where women aren't allowed to drive for example or they can't go to the market without like a male um relative accompanying them or whatever that's that's just kind of wrong <laughs> yeah so exactly see it can get into too much control definitely mm -hmm. um okay something that i wanted to talk to you about is like i really admire that you have been vegan for like so many years like why initially made you want to go vegan well not gonna lie it was kind of a selfish reason i wanted to lose some weight mm. and the fact that all of the calorific foods that i consumed were mostly dairy or egg based um it seemed like a simple rule to follow to to basically lose some weight the interesting thing is after i started down that path of veganism it kind of gave me a clarity that i hadn't seen as a vegetarian because you know, I don't want to get too too into the details here, but when you think of the dairy industry in particular, it's every bit as cruel 
as the meat industry. And vegetarians tend to just kind of turn a blind eye to that. And again, I'm not criticizing vegetarians for only kind of going halfway with it because I did, I, I was on that same path for 25 years thinking I was doing a good thing. So I would never say to somebody, well, I'm not going to evangelize and say, oh, you must become a vegan. Have you seen what's happening in the dairy industry? Because people, people don't generally react to that kind of message very positively. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm calling you out on, on how you could be a better person. And that's, mm-hmm. you've just got to find that for yourself, really. But anyway, I'm, I'm off the track there. So anyway, I became vegan. It kind of opened my eyes to um, how much better it feels to live a life where the, the, the food that I'm eating hasn't been um, created in a cruel fashion. And I'm not going to say it's perfect because, you know, they say buy local and, you know, kind of um, don't buy chocolate that's been harvested by child slaves in Africa and all of that stuff. So there's always ways to to be better. But um, I think going vegan from being vegetarian is a a pretty big and significant step. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I would encourage everybody to go vegan just because it's the right thing to do. But... I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not going to beat people over the head with it. Right. The interesting I mean, thing is, um, you know, I, mm-hmm. I've got a, I've got about 20 people on my teams at work and I'll, I'll just kind of drop it into conversation every now and again. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, two of my guys are actually vegan now. Oh, that's what you did. You planted the seeds. Well, I don't, I don't know whether it was me or not, but uh, whoever it was, yeah. maybe it was just like a thousand little points that got pointed out to these people that do, at some point just made them flip that switch. And, and Interesting. You know, it takes yeah. time and effort and persistence, yeah. but it does pay off if you're just kind of real subtle with it, I guess. Yeah, yes. A, per, uh, a man convinced against as well is of the same opinion still you can't exactly force it it's not gonna work yeah but you I really like can't. that that's so. really cool but haven't you said before that like humans are like not supposed to drink milk like isn't it like oh yeah i mean that's babies or like, <laughs> isn't it? yeah well i think that's a no-brainer i mean why are we drinking milk from another species in the first place i mean does that not sound quite bizarre yeah um, i don't know it's, yeah, it just blows my mind. And if if you kind of extrapolate that out further, people would be grossed out if they um, were tricked into drinking human breast milk, for example. Mm. How is that weirder than drinking a cow's breast milk? Mm. I, I, yeah, I don't know. It, right. I, I just don't understand the the revulsion behind that because it makes more sense biologically to be drinking human breast milk if you're going to drink any milk it should probably be human's milk and, and why don't we drink dog's milk for example or great like imagine that you know be... imagine if it was cat milk on the shelf <laughs> well wow that is kind of weird mm. you know why did we decide that cows was was where it's at and you know a significant proportion of, of the population can't even digest it because of yeah. the, 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 I forget the sugars in milk, but or whatever, lactose, for example. 
um, the human body doesn't have mechanisms necessarily for breaking it down. So why are we even doing that in the first place? It's just weird. Mm. Yeah, like, isn't aren't most people like basically lactose intolerant, but just some are more? Yeah, I've, I've, I've kind of heard that. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I used to eat like tons of cheese and, you know, cream-based yeah, I'm things vegetarian. and I'm, milk. Like, and... I'm trying to be more vegan, but I keep forgetting and slipping <laughs> up. But so I'm not like saying it like, oh, I'm a vegan. No, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. You know, I'm just like talking about it and, you know, but yeah, continue. Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna conclude that by saying we've all got to kind of work that stuff out for ourselves. Like you said, that that quote about free will and um, you know the fact you can't force people to to go down this path. Yeah. They've just got to discover it for themselves, and that's all we can really do is just kind of educate people and um, in a sort of non-threatening way that doesn't make it sound like you're being judgy or or whatever. people come around i can see here's the other thing so capitalism reigns supreme i think the way that we become a vegan society is when um it's not profitable to harvest meat Mm -hmm. yeah at that point at that point when it when meat as we know it can be grown in a lab or reproduced in some other cruelty-free way and it's cheaper than actually killing a real cow it's solved you know yeah the 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 meat industry will just flip at that point 180 degrees um and basically everybody becomes vegan by default so Hmm. and i look i look forward to that day that will happen within my lifetime and i hope within the next you know 10 or 20 years so Mm. wow that's huge i mean that's honestly a really good point i mean a lot of the reason why a lot of these old systems or maybe healthcare like um i don't know buying pills for medication or milk i mean the only reason why it's still such a big thing is for it's a whole money game exactly if you change that you know maybe like the root of the problem which is that well the other Um, thing is um I saw this article the other day that talked about pigs specifically and the fact that um, pigs have vocalizations that kind of equate to language and words and therefore it was it was it was a way to kind of I don't want to anthropomorphize pigs but a way to kind of explain that pigs are intelligent creatures with social structures and you know, we just we just raise them up, and at a certain age, we send them off to the slaughterhouse, and they get killed. And um, that's that's a that's a really sad story. But it's not going to change people's minds about eating bacon because they're like, yeah, but bacon though it's really tasty or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. But the the minute that you can grow bacon, and and you can grow it cheaper than killing the pig it's solved you know why would you why would you commit violence against uh, um, another mammal when you can get that same product for cheaper and it's just come straight out of a lab you know and it's not full of antibiotics and it's you know it's not been um, fed growth hormones and all of those things that that happen in the meat industry just to kind of make a profit it's just uh, yeah what do you know about that like um, the chemicals and stuff that they're fed not a lot really because i've been out of that game now for like (laughs) 
yeah. 30 years or whatever as a vegetarian. I haven't really paid a lot of attention to it. I just know from just kind of reading stories or whatever that chickens, well, let's say turkeys, for example, turkeys aren't supposed to weigh 30 or 40 pounds or whatever. We've just kind yeah. of genetically created these mutations in animals so that they they rapidly rapidly gain muscle mass which kind of equates to meat um in the most profitable way possible because you know a, a 10 pound chicken is going to cost more than a five pound chicken so we've done these kind of really weird unnatural things to animals just to kind of make money um and i think the the answer to, to solving that is is just to kind of find ways to create that same product but not involve animals you know it could be that you take a cheek swab from a cow and you've got its dna you take it to the lab you grow a piece of steak or whatever it might be and it costs you know a dollar a pound where to kill a cow it costs ten dollars a pound why would you, you know, at that point, why would you slaughter a cow? You wouldn't mm. because it goes against capitalist principles. So anyway. Mm. That's a really good point. I really like that. And think about it. It's like if we are, eat, I mean, you are what you eat, right? So mm-hmm. if what we're eating is eating a bunch of these like bad, like poisons, basically. Uh-huh. And now we're eating that. That's probably not good for us, is it? Well, it's it's kind of early days in the technology. I mean, there's 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 big players in the plant-based industry like Beyond Meat, Impossible Foods, all kind of creating these kind of meat substitutes that are good in their own way because it's kind of weaning people off of actual meat, but at the same time they're still full of sodium and saturated fat and etc. So um, it's baby steps. The other thing I, I think might happen is that the big meat companies like Tyson will gradually introduce pea protein, for example, into their meat products so that they wean people off of proper actual meat mm. and into these kind of plant-based substitutes. And if you did that over a decade, people are going to get used to the way that this this new kind of meat plant hybrid tastes and then just kind of like gradually phase it out. So that'll be another way to, to kind of achieve that same goal. Because if you today said um, McDonald's was going vegan, for example, people would just lose it. Oh my <laughs> they'd, God. They'd yeah. be like, oh God, I'm, I'm boycotting McDonald's. I'm not going to eat that plant-based garbage or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it would just be too dramatic. But I think that there might be ways to kind of baby step into the, into mm-hmm. those different alternatives. But yeah, it is something that should be discussed and something that is honestly really great. And I admire that about you as well. Well, cool. Um, I mean, I, there's not really a lot to admire. <laughs> like I what said, I, I, well, because I got into it for selfish reasons, and it was only at that point true. that I realized it was actually kind of a good thing to do. So, but you stuck with it, right? And right. you're making an impact on others. Well, I say I, I say I stuck with way. it, but going back to the start of that journey, I would every Sunday, for example, have a cheat day, and I'd eat like eggs for breakfast. Like, what's all that about? I mean, <laughs> that's, what's that's, all that about? 
but that's not what vegans do, is it? You know? <laughs> and at some point, I was like, <laughs> I was like, either, either you do it or, you, you know, you go yeah. cold turkey and you, you just kind of make that switch or you, or you just remain a vegetarian. And at that point, I was like, screw it. I'm there now. I will never, mm-hmm. I will never go back to vegetarianism again. I'll tell yeah. you that for now because, you know, like I said, there's all of these companies out there that are creating these amazing products. Uh, it's just so much easier to be a vegan in the 21st century than it ever was before. Mm-hmm. So there, there really is no excuse, to be honest. Yes, that is very true. And that applies to many things. And people say, oh, but yeah, veganism, it's so expensive. I can't afford to, you know, buy all those exotic foods or whatever. You don't have to shop at Whole Foods for this stuff. Um, so we were in this Chinese shop the other day and I saw a bag of rice. I think it was like 50 pounds and it was like $30, you know, less than a dollar mm-hmm. a pound for rice. That's going to, that's going to feed you for months, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that there are ways to become a vegan and mm-hmm. not have it cost a fortune. Right. I mean, uh, bread's vegan, fruit's vegan, vegetables mm-hmm. are vegan, yep. um, french fries are vegan. Exactly. Um, people, people forget that. Yeah. They're like, if yeah. you gave somebody a, a, a vegan plate, they, they might freak out and be like, oh, I'm not eating that hippie garbage or whatever. But give them some french fries and they'll just sit there and eat them all day long, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's vegan. It it's, is. it's plant-based. Yeah, uh, something else that I definitely admire about you is that you seem to really care about the world as a whole. And, like, I remember, like, you saying these problems keep you up at night. So I wanted Mm -hmm. to ask you, like, what do you think is one of the biggest problems we are facing right now in the world? This can be related to government, school systems, maybe, you know, the war that's going on. Mm -hmm. What do you think? (sighs) I think the the biggest issue, and I, again, I'll, I've said it like three times now, but the, the 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 gap between rich and poor people has never been bigger than it is now. Mm-hmm. I mean, even at, at this sort of regional level, you know, take Scotland for example, which is um, above England. I think there's like thirty families that basically own the whole of Scotland. Um, that's just broken. Like, why can't we find ways to 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 be more equitable? Um, it's just it's just rampant capitalism at this point, and um, I don't know what the fix is. And, you know, it's easy to say capitalism is bad, but what does the next what does the next societal phase look like? Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes me think of um, a book by H.G. Wells called The Time Machine where this guy straps himself into a time machine and goes into the future like 150,000 years or whatever. And it's reached the point where the richest people have almost become their own species. So they live on the surface and they're just like, I don't know, just like eating delicious foods all day long, just playing music and playing around in the park or whatever. And you've got this kind of subspecies of of humans that that work in the mines and produce all of the wealth for mm-hmm. for these for these rich folk the LOI, and um, you know this book was written I don't know 150 years ago, and I was like, he's nailed it. <laughs> he he's seen the the growth between rich and poor, 
and the fact that we almost become like separate species. I mean, it's 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 almost impossible to imagine that the the life that an ultra wealthy person lives, and then you you contrast that with um, some kid in China that you know doesn't know where his next next meal's coming from, and he's you know he's mm. six years old and working in a mine or whatever. It's just mm. so sad. Mm. So yeah. Anyway. That's the, that's the stuff that keep kind of keeps keeps me up at night. Yeah, I get them. Like, what is the solution to that? I don't know. I I don't know. I feel like I mean, it definitely used to be like that more with like slaves and oh, and totally. And, you know, we've seen that, and I mean, are I, we? I, I guess the question is, are we at the pinnacle of our society? Is this no, society? No. It, well, let me put it this way: is is the 21st century society better than the 11th century society you know going back a thousand years or whatever uh, i'm absolutely sure it is in some ways but it's a long way from being perfect and ideal um the other thing that's that's in my mind is i went to scotland and there's a whole city beneath edinburgh from like 400 years ago where you know they had a plague they were like okay we're done with this town we're just going to create a new town on top of the old one. So it's still there. And you can see how rich merchants were living 400 years ago. In, and their idea of the height of luxury was having like a stuffed sofa or whatever. Yeah. You know, something soft to sleep on was a, was a huge luxury. And the fact that um, even relatively impoverished people these days are living better than kings from the middle ages that's wild you know so we've we've come mm -hmm. a long way but we're such a, a long way from where we could be yeah exactly it is good to think about that it kind of uh gives you more gratefulness as well oh absolutely i'm eternally grateful i'm living in the 21st century there's just no doubt about it so mm -hmm. i mean you know that was one of the questions that I had was if you if you could live at any other era in history, which one would you pick? I'm like yeah, I'm in it. <laughs> mm -hmm. You're in it. Yeah, I'm. I'm. You know, I don't want to go back to ancient Roman times, whatever, where I die at the age of forty because you know I had a, um, an infected tooth or, or whatever, something real, mm -hmm. kind of um, trivial. You know, the fact that. We're in this age of modern medicine where we can effectively cure hundreds or thousands of diseases that would have killed us in the old days. Why wouldn't I want to live in this time? Yeah. I'm just a big fan of te technology as well. The fact that um, the internet, I can look up in seconds any, any fact or figure or research or, or whatever I want to see. And when I go back to my childhood, that was a trip to the library, you know. You got mm. on the bus, you went to town. I can't imagine. It's just uh, crazy. I would be such a different person if yeah, I so didn't have access to technology. It's one of my favorite sayings, you know, what a time to be alive. And I actually yes. truly believe that. <laughs> yes. So, and that's why I'm so excited to see how mm. things will play out in the future. Yes, um, me as well. One yep. of my favorite people also says that quote a lot. Oh, yeah? Mm -hmm. What a time to be alive. 
And it's beautiful, right? And mm -hmm. I honestly am 100% I probably agreeing with you. Though I don't know much about history, maybe it would have been cool to be back in Athens and, you yep. know, sing all that. But If I could be back in Athens with a soft bed and the internet <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. you know, some modern conveniences, a cell phone or whatever, I'd, I'd probably be all right. So, yeah. Right. But I 100% agree. Well, I think that sounds like a good place to wrap things up. I might want to, like, um, record with you again. This was very, oh. very nice. I'll, I'll, just, um, I'll just conclude by saying, um, so I've kind of flip-flopped between utter despair and endless optimism. You know? I know, right? It's, it's, it's all it's, yeah. eternally worrying about the, the state of the world, but also marveling at the, the, the advances that we've made. So, yeah, finding a, finding a happy balance in that space isn't always the easiest, but yeah, it's just it's just what life is. It's complex. There's no there's no two ways around it. Mm. So. It's have to have a nurture mentality and do your part to exactly make an yeah. impact. Indeed. Yeah. Well, thank well, you. It's been most enlightening. <laughs> it's been most enlightening. I love it. I love it. Yes, I've always wanted to record with you. Like, this is so amazing. Like, this is a little dream of mine, I guess, come true. Well, you know what I haven't said yet? What? New perspective. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Thanks for tuning in. That is the new perspective. That is a new perspective.